Chapter Four of Marriage, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One, by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Four. And ever against eating cares, lap me soft in Lydian airs. La Allegro. When Douglas returned, he found the floor strewn with dresses of every description, his sisters on their knees before a great trunk they were busied in unpacking, and his lady in her wrapper, with her hair about her ears, still amusing herself with her pets. See how good your sisters are, said she, pointing to the poor girls, whose inflamed faces bore testimony to their labors. I declare I am quite sorry to see them take so much trouble, yawning as she leant back in her chair. Is it not quite shocking, Tommy? Kissing her squirrel. Oh, pray, Henry, do tell me what I am to put on, for I protest I don't know. Favol always used to choose for me, and so did that odious Martine, for she had an exquisite taste. Not so exquisite as your own, I am sure. So for once choose for yourself replied the good-humoured husband, and pray make haste, for my father waits dinner. Betwixt scolding, laughing, and blundering, the dress was at length completed, and Lady Juliana, in all the pomp of dress and pride of beauty, descended, leaning on her husband's arm. On entering the drawing-room, which was now in a more comfortable state, Douglas led her to a lady who was sitting by the fire, and placing her hand within that of the stranger, Juliana, my love, said he, this is a sister whom you have not yet seen, and with whom I am sure you will gladly make acquaintance. The stranger received her noble sister with graceful ease, and with a sweet smile and pleasing accent expressed herself happy in the introduction. Lady Juliana was surprised and somewhat disconcerted. She had arranged her plans and made up her mind to be condescending. She had resolved to enchant by her sweetness, dazzle by her brilliancy, and overpower by her affability. But there was a simple dignity in the air and address of the lady, before which even high-bred affectation sank abashed. Before she found a reply to the courteous yet respectful salutation of her sister-in-law, Douglas introduced his brother. And the old gentleman, impatient at any farther delay, taking Lady Juliana by the hand, pulled rather than led her into the dining-room. Even Lady Juliana contrived to make a meal of the roast mutton and moor-fowl, for the laird piqued himself on the breed of his sheep, and his son was too good a sportsman to allow his friends to want for game. "'I think my darling Tommy would relish this grouse very much,' observed Lady Juliana, as she secured the last remaining wing for her favourite. "'Bring him here!' turning to the tall, dashing lackey, who stood behind her chair, and whose handsome livery and well-dressed hair formed a striking contrast to old Donald's tartan jacket and bob-wig. "'Come hither, my sweetest cherubs,' extending her arms towards the charming trio, as they entered, barking and chattering and flying to their mistress. A scene of noise and nonsense ensued. Douglas remained silent, mortified and provoked by the weakness of his wife, which not even the silver tones of her voice or the elegance of her manners could longer conceal from him. 
but still there was a charm in her very folly to the eye of love which had not yet wholly lost its power after the table was cleared observing that he was still silent and abstracted lady juliana turned to her husband and laying her hand on his shoulder you are not well love said she looking up in his face and shaking back the redundant ringlets that shaded her own perfectly so replied her husband with a sigh what dull then i must sing to enliven you and leaning her head on his shoulder she warbled a verse of the beautiful little venetian air la biondina in gondoletta then suddenly stopping and fixing her eyes on mrs douglas i beg pardon perhaps you don't like music perhaps my singing's a bore you pay us a bad compliment in saying so said her sister-in-law smiling and the only atonement you can make for such an injurious doubt is to proceed does anybody sing here asked she without noticing this request do somebody sing me a song oh we all sing and dance too said one of the old ladies and after tea we will show you some of our scotch steps but in the meantime mrs douglas will favor us with her song mrs douglas assented good-humoredly though aware that it would be rather a nice point to please all parties in the choice of a song the laird reckoned all foreign music that is everything that was not scotch an outrage upon his ears and mrs douglas had too much taste to murder scotch songs with her english accent she therefore compromised the matter as well as she could by selecting a highland ditty clothed in her own native tongue and sang with much pathos and simplicity the lamented laden's fall of macgregor in the vale of glenorhy the night breeze was sighing o'er the tomb where the ancient macgregors are lying green are their graves by their soft murmuring river but the name of macgregor has perished for ever on a red stream of light by his gray mountains glancing soon i beheld a dim spirit advancing slow o'er the heath of the dead was its motion like the shadow of mist o'er the foam of the ocean like the sound of a stream through the still evening dying stranger who treads where macgregor is lying darest thou to walk unappalled and firm-hearted miss the shadowy steps of the mighty departed see round thee the caves of the dead are disclosing the shades that have long been in silence reposing through their forms dimly twinkles the moonbeam descending as upon thee their red eyes of wrath they are bending our gray stones of fame though the heath blossoms cover round the fields of our battles our spirits still hover where we oft saw the streams running red from the mountains but dark are our forms by our blue native fountains for our fame melts away like the foam of the river like the last yellow leaves on the oak boughs that shiver the name is unknown of our fathers so gallant and our blood beats no more in the breasts of the valiant the hunter of red deer now ceases to number the lonely gray stones on the field of our slumber fly stranger and let not thine eye be reverted why shouldst thou see that our fame is departed pray do you play on the harp asked the volatile lady scarcely waiting till the first stanza was ended and apropos have you a good harp here 
"'We've a very sweet spinet,' said Miss Jackie, "'which, in my opinion, is a far superior instrument, "'and Bella will give us a tune upon it. "'Bella, my dear, let Lady Juliana hear how well you can play.' "'Bella, blushing like a peony rose, "'retired to a corner of the room where stood the spinet, "'and with great, heavy, trembling hands "'began to belabor the unfortunate instrument, "'while the ants beat time and encouraged her to proceed with exclamations of admiration and applause. "'You have done very well, Bella,' said Mrs. Douglas, seeing her preparing to execute another piece, and pitying the poor girl, as well as her auditors. Then whispering to Miss Jackie that Lady Juliana looked fatigued, they arose to quit the room. "'Give me your arm, love, to the drawing-room,' said her ladyship languidly. "'And now, pray, don't be long away.' continued she, as he placed her on the sofa, and returned to the gentleman. End of chapter 4 Recording by Patty Cunningham